0: All right, if you want to take those Bibles out, you can open them up to Romans chapter 6. Kind of picking up part 2 of this chapter, especially the section of this chapter that goes up through verse 14. We're going to just skim a little what we read during communion, because the context really takes us back to chapter 5. Uh, verse 20 to this phrase at the end of verse 20 where sin abounded grace abounded much more so the idea of where there was sin that was going on God's grace came in and just you know redeemed us from that sin but either the critic or the um, just the lewd person they might take that uh, and, and run with it in a twisted way A way that we have um, understood from the last week called antinomianism, which means no morals, essentially, uh, to be able to say, hey, this sounds pretty good. Uh, The more sin there is, the more grace of God there is, so why not just sin more, sin my brains out, more and more of God's grace upon my life, win-win, right? Right? And uh, that would be what's called logic in this day and age, right? Um, but Paul is going to go forward and give eight counter-logics to that logic. Reasons why that's just not even possible uh, for the Christian to live the life of an antinomian. And those counter-logics, as we just skim through the verses, and I'm just going to give you um, up until... Uh, Gosh, what number did we go off of? I think number five last week. Um, Go to six. Okay, here's someone who was paying attention more than I was, which is good. Uh, The first counter logic is found in verse two. We died to sin. So let's go ahead and just sin. So that more grace, more sin, more grace, more sin, more grace. Uh, Hey, sorry, Paul says, uh, not possible. We died to sin. And remember, he says two different times. Don't you know or don't you understand How important it is for us to know in the gospel what the Lord has done for us. Don't you know? Uh, You think you want to live that way and you've forgotten or you're ignorant of or you never knew. Hey, the gospel tells us that we died to sin. And the verse there is, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? All right, And so we're kind of scattered, we're going to our number two, but it's found in verse three, and that is, the second one was, the way we died to sin in our baptism. That also shows us it's impossible. The way that we died to sin in our baptism, now, you may want to listen to last week's teaching to just know that we at Calvary Chapel don't believe in baptismal regeneration, which means that you have to get baptized in order to be saved. Uh, but rather we believe because we're saved by God's grace through faith, then we want to obey the Lord and all the things he calls us to. And as Christians, we want to do what really is one of those first steps of obedience, get baptized to show what the Lord's already done in our heart. And so as Cruz helped us last week with baptism, baptism, be, the word baptism here is really a shorthand way of referring to the whole conversion experience. So the way that we've been baptized or our conversion experience shows us that it's just not possible to live that way. The third thing was that we've shared in Christ's death and also have shared in his resurrection. That's found in verses four and five. Um, the fourth thing Our former self was crucified. So why can't we just go on and continue in sin so that grace can just super abound in our life? Because our former self that loved to do those things uh, was crucified. Our old man, our sinful self, crucified with him. And then our fifth thing here, as we finish on verse 7 last week, um, or rather, uh, let me see here. Sorry, guys can't believe I get paid to do this. Uh, so we ended on four. Former self was, was crucified. Verses six and seven. That leads us up to the fifth thing here today. Coming into verse eight where we're starting. The fifth logic as to why antinomianism is not a possibility for a genuinely born-again Christian is that the death and resurrection are decisive events. We see that in verses 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. The death and resurrection are decisive events. So let's get into it, looking at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Uh, This word now can also be translated since or because. So since we've died with Christ, that has happened for us. As Christians, in this plunging ourselves into that conversion experience and what the gospel has done for us in our regeneration, being born again, uh, this is a since thing. Since we've died with Christ, now we believe that we live. Uh, We live with Him. And this is the hopeful aspect. We saw it last week as well. It's not just death with Christ. Um, I mean, it's still good news, but it doesn't sound as good. Like, hey, everyone, when you become a Christian, you died with Jesus. Woo, died with... Died with Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, that's a, uh, but it continues to say, oh, you don't just die with him. But he rose from the dead. So also you too rise in newness of life. And the same spirit that rose him from the dead lives in you. You also have that victory now, uh, today, tomorrow, and forevermore, essentially. Uh, it's the one of the faithful sayings that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.11. Uh, they had what were called faithful sayings, which were kind of like these good catch phrases that would go around the early church before they had the written Bible in the New Testament. There were faithful sayings, and Timothy heard this from Paul, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If the gospel aspect of Jesus' death and what that does for and to our old man is true, then also the resurrection aspect is for us as well. That good news of the vindication of Jesus and the victory over sin and death and the grave, that's for us as well. Verse 9 says, Knowing, and so I think this is the third time that he uses this phrase, knowing or did you not know, just shows how important it is to know and to grow, to be discipled, to be aware of who you were, um, and where you're going and what the Lord has done to get you there. Okay. We know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So a couple of verses just, uh, just to, Add harmony to this, the victory book, Revelation, where Jesus stands in his resurrected state. Chapter one, verse 18, the resurrected Jesus, you know who John the Revelator saw there that day from the island of Patmos. Do you, do you have a picture of what Jesus looked like to John there in Revelation? Let's see, something about a hair white like wool. Some of you are like, I have hair white like wool. Yeah, just so, so did Jesus, you know. Um, hair white like wool, Eyes like what a flame of fire, all right, just burning through your soul. No, I'm kidding, you know, um, warmth, right, judgment, purity, all those things, right? Um, anybody remember like what he had across his chest, Mr. Sam? Were you a part of the Mr. Honker pageant? Were you no? Oh man, where were you? I was in that, Sam's from Lakeview with me. I was like, did we share that common bond? Of not becoming Mr. Honker. The competition was rough there. And I came in second to last place, I think. Um, but, you know, the sash that Jesus... this is Lakeview High School, the Mr. Honker pageant. Um, Jesus wears the sash that shows his victory. A golden... Rather, was it a bronze sash, right? Uh, what about his feet? Anybody remember his feet? Very stylish in the 80s. Um, kind of a big uh, sole on him. You know, uh, right big brass boots okay um and we read of in revelation later that he will trample uh the world in judgment uh those who have rejected him as Christ so he's just he's decked out in all of his gear that shows his victory and his mission what he's going to be doing in the end times that was a very odd recollection of the appearance of Jesus but here's what he says as he's standing there in revelation I am he who lives and was dead and behold i'm alive forevermore and this is amen right and i have the keys of hades and death so he's just talking about how he's trampled over the grave i was alive and then i died wah, wah, wah. but then i came back to life again Woo-hoo, you know and in that resurrection he conquered death and he holds the keys in victory towards hades and the abode of the dead Uh, forevermore, he has the victory. And then also the end of Hebrews 7, 25 says that he always lives to make intercession for them. So have you ever wondered what happened to Jesus? Man, he ascended from, uh, the earth and then he went up and the Psalms speak of the gates opening up. And who is this King of glory coming in? A big homecoming parade happened as Jesus went back in, in victory. He a mission accomplished, you know, the big banner in heaven as Jesus comes in, ticker tape parade, all of that. And and as he comes in uh, winning the victory, now he started a new job where he always lives to pray for us now. So just to know like, man, I don't feel like anyone knows what I'm going through. He knows what you're going through and he prays for you. And there are times that we go through very hard things. I go through hard things and I actually pray that I'll be prayed for. Like, oh Lord, you know what I'm going. I just don't even know what to pray right now. Will you pray for me? Will you intercede for me? He's our great intercessor. You've heard of intercessory prayer. Jesus is the first one uh, to do it. And he always lives. I love that phrase. He always lives to make intercession for them. Verse 10 tells us, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And I'm going to quote Scott to you here. Uh, the natural and obvious meaning is that, and I'm I'm blessed by this because I was hung up on this little phrase. He died to sin. What is this? What is this? And I I read different versions. A lot of it still says to sin, to sin, unto sin. Um, and uh, and I just appreciated what Scott had to say to help me with this. The natural and obvious meaning, I missed the natural obvious meaning, like, well, I must have missed that, you know, uh, is that Christ bore sin's condemnation, namely death. He met its claim, he paid its penalty, he accepted its reward, and he did it once for all. If that packs, right? An adverb which is applied many times to his atoning death in the New Testament. So when he died, he died to sin. What does that mean? Just one more time. He bore sin's condemnation. uh, That's death. Met its claim, paid its penalty, accepted its reward, and he did it once for all. And you know, just like Stott said, that's an adverb that's used many times in the New Testament. Especially as you study Hebrews, it's used multiple times to show that when Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out that phrase, te telestai which is translated, it is finished. That, that says that we're done here, okay? The sin has been paid for. The wrath of God towards sin has come upon me. I'm dying once. Man, read your book of Hebrews, everyone. Once for all. And there is something that that means for us as Christians is we put our faith in Jesus. We can know, we look back at history, all the all the fathers and mothers before us, I'll mention the mothers too. They're very important. But in the Old Testament, they all looked forward to this Messiah, this prince who was going to come to save them. They, vague, they didn't know it, who exactly it was, but it, they would trust ahead of what was going to happen. And now we know, looking back at history, who it was and how it happened. And we can know my sin has been paid for one time for all my sins and for all men and women everywhere, all right? Now, this is not a knock on Catholics time, okay? I actually appreciate so much of of the Catholics, okay? And uh, we used to be Catholics. I don't know if you know that part of church history. So our fathers and mothers again, right? Early New Testament, they were Catholic as well. Um, But we celebrated this week, uh, Reformation Day. And it was a day when Martin Luther... Uh, who was a lawyer, got stuck in a lightning storm, did classic, like, if you save me out of this lightning storm, I'll dedicate my life to you forever, right? And uh, he was saved out of it. So he became a monk, right? But he was so overwhelmed with the guilt of his sin. So he started doing works after works after works, and maybe I can appease God. And nothing he did, even becoming a monk and getting that cool haircut, which by the way, I think like you're in, you know, Uh, no, Yeah, he got the haircut, right? Been there, done that, got the haircut. Where, you know, he would, camels for itchiness to try to atone for sins. He he writes about how he would whip himself and try to atone for his sins. And he's like, man, I just got to go to Rome and I've got to uh, go and maybe I'll find appeasement for my soul and how I'll appease God. And as he's on his way to Rome, he meets some other monks who say, Martin, you need to read the book of Romans. And as he's reading the book of Romans, he comes across that great passage from Habakkuk that says, the just shall live by faith. So that starts simmering in his heart a little bit. Like, man, uh, I've been living by all kinds of other like camel skin itchiness and whipping myself and becoming a monk and solitary life and all of this. And he ended up going to Rome where the very stairs have been placed that Jesus stood upon as he stood before Pontius Pilate. And they used to kiss every stair, where the blood of Jesus had once been as they would go up to, you know, speak with the Pope and be in his presence. And as he's going up, Habakkuk and Romans is going through his mind, the just shall live by faith. Martin, the just shall live by faith. Martin, you think you've been just by your works and the things that you've been, the just shall live by faith. So he ended up standing up in the middle of the stairs, going home doing his homework and writing 95 things called the 95 thesis that he would then go and nail to the doors of Wittenberg chapel in Germany, 95 ways that we had gotten away from the scripture and understanding the gospel that salvation comes by the grace of God through the conduit of faith in him. And he said, we got to get back to the Bible church And that's where our Adam Barney, you guys, and his manly forearm tattoos. Sola gratia. Sola fide. Right? By grace. Through faith alone. But the reformers would also say, sola scriptura. Let's get away from the body of traditions that have gotten away from the authority of the inspired word of God. And let's let it show us how we should live and worship. Okay? So... Uh, and so one thing that that Martin Luther, that was the longest story that wasn't in first service. Sometimes you come to second service, you get a special treat. I know what you're <laughs> thinking. I'm going to start coming to first service. Okay. <laughs> and then I trick you and I go a half hour long in first service. Okay. You just never know. Uh, but our Catholic friends, and many of them born again, uh, there's some awesome Catholics out there. But the Eucharist and the Mass, I think one of the greatest ways that they have walking away from grace is that um, that they believe that every time the priest takes the bread and the wine, that there at the Eucharist, that uh, it actually means in the Catholic Encyclopedia that that priest actually makes the body of the bread turn into the body of Jesus, the blood actually becomes the blood of Jesus again and again on every altar across the world that is what is believed happened and that basically does away with the new testament principle of once for all okay it's just so easy if we just start listening to what the pastor says without cracking open our bible And and letting it be the authority, we just get away from grace so quickly. And a lot of condemnation comes upon people who every week feel like, I got to get back and I got to drink the actual blood and eat the actual body because that, the Catholic encyclopedia says, is truly propitiatory. That is where you find the propitiation. Week after week after week, there's no finished work. And that's not the New Testament. Read the book of Hebrews where constantly the author is saying, you Jews have gone back to uh, the law. You've gone back to the prophets. You've gone back to Moses. You've gone back to angels. You've gone back to the temple, the tabernacle, the priests and how the priests would go in regularly and have to offer a sin offering even for themselves. And he says, you need to look to the true and better high priest who went in one time for the whole world And he offered himself up once for all, okay? It's all about grace, okay? And so here we have the same phrase, when he died, he died to sin once for all. And now he lives. And the life that he lives, he lives to God, okay? So that leads us to our sixth point, dead to sin, but alive to God. So how come we don't live the life of an antinomian? Man, it sounds good to my flesh. More sin, more grace, right? Uh, But here we see, man, we're dead to sin, but alive to God. Look in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, I feel like sometimes Paul, he just wrote prophetically for the people of Prineville. I mean, he's like, one day in 2023, those people are going to be falling asleep in the pew, and I'm going to throw an old west word at them, reckon, and then we all sit up in our seat a little bit, like, did he just say reckon, yeah, okay, where he says, likewise, you guys, you got to reckon something, Right? You got to consider something you must consider, which takes us back to four, uh, three times, four times before where he says, do you not know, knowing this knowledge, right? We got to know about the gospel. We got to know what it has purchased for us. We got to know what it means for us in our past, in our present, in our future. And so you need to consider the gospel. I read this week of a farmer that was talking to his horse and said, well, I reckon you've been a pretty good horse. You work hard, and I had to call the vet much on you. I only wish you'd pull the plow a little faster. The horse said, no. I said, feedback, not feedback. <laughs> well, the farmer was reckoning on the horse's history, thinking about the horse's past and what it meant for his future. If you know, Okay, sorry, that's for Joe Papanon. He was in the first service. Okay. But, you know, we use this word, uh, sort of, all right, at least in our Old West movies, right? Uh, When there's something like, well, I reckon we ought to rustle up some grub, or I reckon we ought to move on out or head on out. It's actually an accounting term, okay, where you look at all the numbers, all right? My wife happens to be an accountant. And, uh, and she appreciates a well-oiled spreadsheet. You know, it's a joke that we heard a comedian say once. I love a well-oiled spreadsheet. And Lindsay's like, I just love Microsoft Excel. You know, I sure hope there's Microsoft Excel in heaven. You know, um, but, you know, she reconciles the books. You know, she makes that sure that, every, you know, we're looking at the numbers and we're making sure that everything's accounted for. And for us as Christians, we also, we look at the spreadsheet, we look at the history, we look at the numbers, and we count ourselves to be dead to sin. Or as the verse says, dead indeed to sin. Like really, really actually has happened dead to sin. Or we might say it in primeval is I reckon he dead. Okay, I reckon he dead. All right. Uh, But we also reckon ourselves to be alive, not just dead. Our old man's dead. We reckon that to be true, but we also reckon that there's a new life in us. We're living to God in Christ. Now, Stott again said, this reckoning is not merely make believe. It's not screwing up our faith to believe what we do not believe. We are not to pretend that our old nature has died when we know perfectly well that it has not. Instead, we are to realize and remember that our former self did die with Christ, thus putting an end to its career. We are to consider what in fact we are, namely dead to sin and alive to God, like Christ. Once we grasp this, that our old life has ended with the score settled, the debt paid, and the law satisfied, We shall want to have nothing more to do with it. So shall we continue to just flagrantly sin so that grace can abound? Well, what Stott says there, once we realize that our old life has ended, the score settled, the debt paid, the law satisfied, we shall want to have nothing more to do with it. Going back to that idea of the accountant and the counting and what this reckoning means uh, N.T. Wright, a Greek scholar, says the key word here is reckon, same root word as in 4 3 and elsewhere. And with the same bookkeeping metaphor in mind, do the sum, he says, add it up and see what it comes to. I like the comedian Tim Hawkins and how uh, he says, uh, he's a Christian comedian, so you can be like, oh, I know him, um, as opposed to those other ones, right? Uh, no, he, he says, if you're ever in an argument with someone, And you know you don't know what you're talking about. Just leave the argument by saying, you do the math, right? You do the math, all right? That's essentially what Paul is saying to us when he says, reckon yourselves. He's like, you do the math continually check the books, check the sum. N.T. Wright says, do the sum, add it up, see what it comes to. The Messiah has died once for all and has been raised. You are by baptism in the Messiah. Therefore, you too have died once for all and been raised. The reckoning in question is to take place in the believing uh, thought process of the Christian, the point is not as in some schemes of piety that the reckoning achieves the results of dying to sin and coming alive to God any more than something at uh, someone adding up a column of figures creates the result out of nothing that 's how I do my books actually you guys i 'm like looks like the numbers are going up you know doesn 't actually change anything in the real world okay all right it Rather, the reckoning opens the eyes of mind and heart to recognize what in fact is true. It is here that one might almost say that Paul appeals for faith on the basis of baptism. Those who've received the sign of the new exodus in the Messiah are urged to think through and believe what has in fact happened to them. And so this week, as I was just studying this, is week two that I've been studying it, rereading all of these great books and quotes and studying the scripture it just stirred in me to go back and continue the practice of journaling and and putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard sometimes i do the little notepad in my phone type of journaling and to just take the time to write out and consider and reckon what i used to be before jesus And then when he came into my life and what he's done to me in my baptism and my plunging myself into him, and then what he's done in me since and what I'm hopeful that he's going to do in me in the future. Uh, And then you guys, you have to forgive me because I was telling first service, uh, this is multiple times I've taught through Romans. A lot of times if I teach through a book, I'll kind of reuse old notes and maybe kind of add to them this time through, it's all new. And it's just been kicking my booty. Like Romans, I'm like, have I ever even read this book before? You know, I mean, it is just so deep in in what I'm reading. And so uh, a couple of these guys I've been reading uh, have been helping me. And so here's a big quote. I got it on the screen. I just want you to see big quote, bold, underlined and orange because it helped me that much. I'm a color coded note guy. And listen to what Stott says to help us with this, this reckoning. Can a married woman live as though she were still single? Well, yes, I suppose she could. It's not impossible, but let her remember who she is. Let her feel her wedding ring, the symbol of her new life of union with her husband, and she will want to live accordingly. Can a born-again Christian live as they, though they were still in their sins? Well, yes, I suppose they could, at least for a while. It's not impossible, but let them remember who they are. Let them recall their baptism, the symbol of their new life in union with Christ, and they will want to live accordingly. So the major secret of holy living is in the mind. It's in knowing that our former self was crucified with Christ, in knowing that baptism unto, into Christ Is baptism into his death and resurrection and in counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Christ, we are to recall, to ponder, to grasp, to register these truths until they are so much a part of our way of thinking that a return to the old life is unthinkable. Regenerate Christians should no more contemplate a return to unregenerate living than adults to their childhood, married people to their singleness, Or discharge prisoners to their prison cell. For our union with Jesus Christ has severed us from the old life and committed us to the new. Our baptism stands between the two like a door between two rooms. Closing on the one and opening into another. We have died and we have risen. How can we possibly live again in what we've died to? So I appreciate this, you know, this remember your baptism. Now we remember the context in the study. We're remembering the conversion experience in which we've plunged ourselves into the gospel and all that it means to us. I remember when we bought this building, uh, the Episcopal church said, hey, we're having a decommissioning ceremony um, down here where we essentially it's kind of our tradition to kind of remove the Episcopal blessing from the place, you know, and then it'll all be yours, you know, and so she's like, I know it sounds weird, and it's kind of insulting, but it, no, just just kidding, You're like, well, we'll just go behind you and re-bless it, and no, I'm just joking, was, we all laughed about it, um, but we were here, and we went through all the buildings, and people were like, I was raised in the Episcopal church, and I remember being a little kid, running through the, you know, and all that, and we ended up finally over in the chapel, and that's where it ended, and um, the Episcopal or Lutheran liturgy is something I'm not a part of, I don't know, and so we're there and um, this guy, he's like, hey, this guy used to go here and dude in overalls uh, would stand at the back with this pot of water and with a little fig leaf or a little sprig leaf in there. And as you walk by, he'd he'd take it and he'd flick water on you. And he'd say, remember your baptism. Remember, and the first guy that went through wasn't expecting it and had glasses on. I saw the whole thing. He's like, remember your baptism. He's like, <laughs> you know, had <laughs> to take his glasses off. No, but it's just like, remember your baptism. And I remember that. I'm, I'm like, I do remember my baptism. You know? Remember your baptism. And essentially, that's what is being said here. Rem, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and sin just willy-nilly, just until my heart's content. And it'll be, all be fine. I'll whip out the grace card at the end of the day and lay my pillow on my bed. And I'm like, so thankful for grace. Can't wait till tomorrow. <laughs> you know? and, and the Lord splashes you with water in your bed and is like, remember your baptism. Okay? Remember your baptism. Now, We do not preach baptismal regeneration here, but we do preach baptism. Get baptized. If you are a Christian and you've not gotten baptized, what are you waiting for? It's one of the first elementary principles of our faith. And honestly, like if you don't want to get baptized because grandma hasn't made it over from Pensacola yet to witness it, you know, or you were wearing your new, you know, creased wranglers, you know, on Easter Sunday and you didn't want to get them wet and messed up. I wonder if you really know what it means to be a Christian. Okay? To plunge yourself into Jesus means giving it all up and being all in for the Lord. And nothing's going to stop me. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. That's what baptism is. And so I just encourage you, get baptized. Because it is that symbol of that door between the old man and his death And the new man and and the life, the resurrection power that now is available for you to live in uh, today. What uh, happens to us is reasonable, Cruz says in baptism, so long as the term baptism functions as shorthand for the whole conversion initiation experience. Number seven of our counter logic to antinomianism. How you guys doing? Great. Can you give me to 1215? Can you do it? Can you do it? Slap yourself around just a little bit. Breathe deeply. Breathe through your nose. I'm learning that. Important to breathe through your nose, out the mouth. In through the nose, out the mouth. You'll go to sleep very quickly. Um, Number seven out of eight. We now offer instruments for righteousness. So why don't we just sin till our heart's content? uh, Because grace will abound. Because now I offer something different. Now I offer up instruments for... For righteousness. Verse 12 tells us. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it. And it's lusts. So now we're going to move into some practical application. Of the theology that we've learned. I'm going to throw out some Bible study tools for you. For your studies. Are you ready? Okay. Your brain's got the gears turning. You ready? The moral imperatives always lead to no i got that backwards oh i was was all thinking i was so smart (laughs) starting again the redemptive indicatives always lead to the moral imperatives okay so starting over here what is a redemptive indicative well let's say you're driving down the road you're going to turn into the left lane so you turn on your if you're british what's it called a It's called an indicator, right? It's a sign that shows coming on over. Okay, so in the Bible, we have all of these indicators of our redemption. We just spent the last 11 verses looking at the indicators of our redemption. Now in the Bible, those will always be followed by Jesus has done this for you. So now you do this for him. They flow out of this, okay? But as Christians, we can never start over here. Now, we want to. Just tell me what to do, pastor, right? Uh, We want to just have our list of rules and regulations and religiosity, and I just want to be a religious person. But if it doesn't flow out of a knowledge and a love and a reception for the redemptive indicatives, then what you have over here is basically religion, all right, legalism, Phariseeism, okay, it's just a bunch of rules and it ends in death. And I think it was Oswald Sander that says um, any works that are done out of self-motivation for self-glory and for um, self-prosperity, it's the soul and sum of every other false religion that exists in the world. So you can slap a cross or a dove or a flame on it as your logo, but you're still a pagan religion because it's based on a false gospel. That's why you have to let your religion flow out of the gospel and what he has done to redeem you. Okay, so we do work for Jesus and baptism would be one of those. But we do it flowing out of what he has already done for us, okay? He is the one who's done it. And so now he's our model and he's our motivation. And so now we obey. Those who believe, obey. We believe what he's done. Now we obey. So now we move into this practical do. The words are actually there. Did you notice it there in verse 12? It's actually a do not, okay? So there's do's and do nots, okay? So here's the do not. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. I got two different versions on the screen for you. New Living Translation and the RSV Revised Standard. New Living Translation, it's a paraphrase. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Uh, You guys remember Bob Newhart? second service you get all the good stuff okay bob newhart has this hilarious skit where he's a psychiatrist you know this one and uh this lady comes in and says uh it's something like i have a fear of being stuck in a coffin and i just i just everywhere i go i just have this fear and um and i just you know everywhere i go you know if i'm if i'm in an elevator I get this fear you know and he's like okay um so have you ever been stuck in a coffin before and she's like no and he's like okay uh have you ever been stuck in an elevator before no okay okay um you know have you ever been you know trapped in an attic or in a basement or anything no nothing like closet no nothing like okay okay so get your pencil out I want to have you write down this advice after me okay so you got your pencil and your notepad okay you ready stop it (laughs) she's like what you don't know. No, just, just stop it. Stop doing it. You're not going to get stuck in a casket. You've never even been stuck in an elevator or a closet or in it. Just stop it. Okay. And you know, sometimes you just need the pastor to slap you across the face. Cause you're like, I just keep doing it. And it's like, okay, look me in the eye. Take your pencil out. Ready? Right? Are you ready? You ready? Stop it. Okay. We know what Jesus has done for us. We believe it. We receive it. We know the old man's dead. So just stop it. All right. Do not let it. And it's the same with the little bully on the playground, you know, or the little sister that's stealing the toy. And it's like, hey, don't let him do that anymore. Well, there's this kid and I'm like, yeah, don't let him. You know what I mean. I've trained you. Okay. Don't let it happen. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Here's the RSV. Sounds the same as the New King James. Let not sin, therefore reign in your immortal bodies. But I like this last part. To make you obey their passions. Don't let it happen anymore. Don't, you don't need to obey that. It's a big old bully that's coming for your lunch money. Don't let him. Stop it. Remember who you are. Remember your baptism. Remember the victory. Remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, uh, and so we don't let sin reign in our mortal body. Um, Let's just read Cruz here real quick. The exhortation makes it clear that believers' death to sin does not mean that they're immune to temptation or incapable of falling into sin. It means that sin's tyranny has been broken, so they are free to choose not to sin, but they must continue to choose not to do so. In the apostles' words, they must not let sin reign in their mortal bodies, and they must not yield to evil desires. Moving right along, verse 13, we're on, there's only 14 verses, I swear we're on the end of it, it's 12.09, I want till 12.15, you're good. Verse 13, here's another, do not, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Uh, A synonym verse in Romans 12, one closes out by saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So now that we're redeemed, we believe what the Bible says about the gospel. Now we yield in a, um, active, present active tense, we yield ourselves to the Lord and we place ourselves at his disposal. And it uses the word members here, presenting our members. And that means any and every part of ourselves. All right. Last night I was tucking Titus into bed. We had a guest in our house. So Titus couldn't sleep in his own room. He, I said, go make a bed by our bed. And I walked in there and he had made a bed on the floor next to Lindsay's side of the bed. And so I gave him a hard time. I'm like, oh, I see you built your bed next to your favorite parent, you know? And he's like, no, you're my favorite too, dad. I love you both the same, you know? And as I get down there and I'm snuggling him, he's like, although I do have a more favorite father, you know, and I pretended to be mad, like, what do you mean, you know? He's like, my father in heaven, you know? He's like, my father up above. And then he realized this is a song. He's like, he's like his dad's got a song coming. So then he goes into... And the father up above, he is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then we giggled a little. And then he's like, be careful, little nose, what you smell. And I'm like, that is also a very important part. No, that doesn't know smelling, you know. And then he went through the whole body. And I'm like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Go to bed. Okay. But the instruments that we have, the members that we have, I should say, they are every and, and all parts of us. The eyes, the ears, the mouth, the nose the head, the shoulders, the knees, the toes, knees and toes, right? Every part of us. Now we no longer go to that place or with those people or to smoke that, drink that, do this and all those different things. We don't, we're not bound to that anymore to offer. I just have to give myself to this and that all over again. No, now we know what the gospel has done and now I'm actively presenting all of this to instruments of righteousness as being risen from the dead. So why would something like maybe raising your hands in worship be a good thing for some people? Because normally I'm doing my hands for all kinds of sinful things, but today I'm realizing, no, these are instruments for you. And normally these lips have said such foul things, but not today, Satan, you know, and we're going to start, I'm going I'm to actually use these things to sing forth songs to the, whatever it is, like I'm going to listen to Christian music for like the first time ever. I'm going to go on a mission trip with these feet because these, Boots used to go, you know, into the sinful places. Now they're going to be used by, you, you get my point, right? All of these instruments, uh, rather I should say, members are now instruments, and the language speaks of weapons in an, in an armed conflict. Now they're used for him, all right? So there's the do not and the do aspect that shows us there's an active choice that believers make to yield to temptation to sin or to walk in obedience. And there's a do positive alternative to sin, and it is go and worship the Lord. Find a way to worship the Lord instead of going down the path uh, towards sin again. Are you guys ready to end this thing? (sighs) Me neither. Um, Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under the law, but under grace. The literal translation of this is sin will not rule over you. What assurance of a father speaking to his child, like the bully won't have power over you. Stand up to it. Remember the knowledge. Remember what you know about who you were and who you are. It will not rule over you. Walk in that. You're no longer under the regime of, of sin, uh, just the new living translation for you here says sin no longer is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Let's have the worship team come up and I just want to point out back in Romans 5 20. We started out two weeks ago or last week. The law entered that the offense might abound. So we started, there's like a bookend to Romans six and this side of the bookend, it's the law and it entered. And you know, we'll see in Romans seven, the law is good. The law is pure. The law is right. But the law was given not to make us righteous, but to show us we're sinners. It is so good. And our sin is so wicked that Romans seven tells us we actually, our sin uses the law as an aircraft carrier to launch off into sin. That's like how sinful and wicked we are. We take God's good law and we just go off and are provoked into sin with it. Okay. There's another bookend at this side that tells us we don't have to sin anymore because we're not under that. We're not under the tutor anymore. We know that we're sinners and that we're saved by grace. And so we don't have to have dominion, have dominion over us by the law. Why? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. Will you guys stand with me? We're going to close with something big and good. The whole section in the J.B. Phillips translation. Okay. J.B. Phillips. Did I hear an, ah? Oh, seriously? Okay. You don't even have to read it. J.B. Phillips was alive during World War II had a heart for youth, was a Greek scholar and translated the Bible into something palatable for teenagers. It's one of my favorites. It's super helpful and it's very accurate. Now, what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. We who have died to sin, how could we live in sin a moment longer Have you forgotten that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were by that very action sharing in his death? We were dead and buried with him in baptism so that just as he was raised from the dead by that splendid revelation of the father's power, so we too might rise to life on a new plane altogether. If we have, as it were, shared in death, shared his death, let us rise and live our new lives with him. Let us never forget that our old selves died with him on the cross, that the tyranny of sin over us might be broken for a dead man can safely be said to be immune to the power of sin. Is that it? I don't think so. I think it is. This is what Jacob says. I think we are done, Pastor Rory and I will agree with him. Let's pray. Lord, we just cry out to you. Um, Knowing ourselves, we know our sin, we know what we've done, Lord. We remember that old man. We remember that sinful nature. But Lord, we also remember what you have done. When you died for us, once for all, you died to sin and you bore the consequences and all what it means for sin and death. You took that upon yourself. You rose from the dead in vindication of who you are and in victory of what you've accomplished, securing our salvation, the resurrection showing and, and the ascension even showing that the sacrifice was good and accepted. And so Lord, we here today remember who we were, but what you've done and Lord, that through faith and believing in your actions, Lord, we've just plunged ourselves into not only your death, killing our old man, but Lord, the resurrection power that brings new life for us today. Lord, we pray for victory. We pray for times with you every day where we remember, where we reckon, where we sum it up. We do the sum, and we remember that old man's got nothing, he's dead. Let's live and present these members to righteousness for God's glory. We pray for great victories this week. We pray for just freedom from bondage this week. And that all that you've made available would be applied to our account. Even this week, it would be like a whole new fresh week for us where like a chapter turning or like a hinge on a door turning where that day where Romans six just was expounded to me. I began to walk in the newness of life. that was purchased for me. We'll give you the glory Lord. Will you guys close in this song with me? Amen. Hey, if you came to this church today and just today, you know that, um, and the Lord had just put his hand upon your heart and showed you that you are a sinner and that you needed a savior. And to just today, through the preaching of the Bible, he just showed you how he has saved you and how he has redeemed you and how he wants you to be his with everlasting life and grace and glory and power and victory, that he would be your savior and also your Lord. Then today I just encourage you, man, you don't have to do anything but trust in him right now. Just right now where you're at, say, that, that's it today, I'm decided I'm following Jesus. He is everything. He has saved me, and I am going after him. And you know what? He is going to take your life, and he's going to run with you, and it's going to be incredible. Today, you can be saved. You can be a Christian. You can be born again. You can be regenerated. And all you have to do is just receive what he has done for you right here, right now. And if you've done that today, just, just, man, there's just a moment where you just said, that's me, and I'm doing that. Will you come and talk to me? Because I'd love to just pray for you point in the direction of being a follower of Jesus and I have a little gift bag for you, okay? So um, come up for the gift bag if for nothing. No, I'm just joking, no. Uh, Have a great week, you guys. Lord bless you. Thanks for sticking around longer and uh, hope you just have a wonderful one. Amen, bye.